You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. The best part of the hunting season is finally here. We've waited for this all year long. Now let's make it count with some great gear from our partners. First up, Tacticam is our title sponsor, and their point-of-view cameras are my go-to method for filming my hunts. Their new 6.0 camera has added a 1-inch LCD touchscreen that has totally changed the game for me. Its lightweight design, weatherproof housing, and one-touch operation really simplify the self-filming process and make sure that I have high-quality footage to share with my family and friends. My personal favorite for archery season is two 6.0 cameras, one on a stabilizer mount on my bow and one on a bendy clamp mount for an over-the-shoulder angle. And I pair this with a Tacticam remote so I can turn both cameras on with the push of a single button. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. Now as the temps begin to drop, I know I'll be hunting in comfort with my Huntworth camo. Huntworth is making high-quality, technical hunting clothing at a fraction of the price of other brands. This time of year, I'm making sure to layer smart. I start with a set of base layers, either the Casper or the Bangor, which I have found to be very comfortable and moisture-wicking. Next, I'll have on either my Elkins midweight top and bottom or my Saskatoon heavyweight top and bottom. Either way, I'm also going to be bringing my Saskatoon vest. And because the hunting often gets better when the weather turns nasty this time of year, the Winstead rain suit lives in my hickory pack all the time. And I can honestly say that this is the best rain suit that I have ever used. You can learn more or grab your Huntworth gear today at HuntworthGear.com. And finally, the Onyx Hunt app is an absolutely indispensable tool for me this time of year. If I'm not in the action, I'm going to be making a move to go find it. And the Onyx Hunt app helps me identify those terrain features that I want to key in on with their latest aerial imagery additions. The app now has fully functional 3D on both iOS and Android, low-resolution satellite images updated every two weeks with historic look-back, and leaf-off imagery, all in addition to the base maps that you've always had in the app. Get more out of your maps this season and know where you stand with the Onyx Hunt app. Now let's get into this week's show. Hey guys, just have a quick announcement. I've got Matt Real from the Wisconsin BHA chapter to give us a quick update about an upcoming event. Matt, what's going on? I appreciate having us, Pierce. Uh, we have the North Country Icebreaker coming up on February 3rd down at Lake Koshkanan. And uh, we're super excited about the event uh, to have a lot of people out and enjoying everything the uh, Wisconsin public waters and woods have to offer. Excellent. What can folks expect from uh, this event coming up? Uh, so the event, uh, again, is Saturday, February 3rd. Uh, it's an ice fishing tournament that hosts all kinds of options. There's multiple tournaments going on, whether you're an avid fisherman or kind of learning to ice fish. Uh, we're going to set up, basically, if anyone's familiar with the lake off Vinnihaha Launch, which is on the northeast side of the lake, um, there's plenty of public parking, public hunting area there as well. And we're going to set up basically a base camp off that for people to check in and spend the day on the ice with us uh, in however they see fit. And then we'll wrap up the day with a wonderful banquet, uh, traditional banquet style event at Kashkana Mountains Country Club, which is just up the road about a mile uh, with a wonderful dinner, presentations, raffles, all the fun stuff. Excellent. That sounds like a blast. If folks want to get more information on this, where can they go to find it? 
So you can certainly go to backcountryhunters.org slash Wisconsin events uh, on our, our website. We'll take you right to it. There's lots of options. There's a family option uh, where kids basically aren't charged anything for that, but they will have plenty of events for kids as well. There's a table option, which I'd certainly uh, push that one a little bit. Uh, table of eight, get your buddies together and uh, and family, friends, buy a table. You get a little extra bonus for buying a table and uh, should be just a wonderful event. So if you need to find any information through, through the website, there's a QR code to sign up. There should be events, uh, posters at local bait shops, everything like that as well. All right. So that sounds like a fantastic event. Uh, folks, put it on your calendars, February 3rd. Um, look for that information. Go check out the flyer on the website. And we might even be there, believe it or not. We hope you are. And for social media, everything's on our social medias, mainly Instagram. Uh, you can find QR codes, everything to sign up for tickets and get entered that way as well. Excellent. Folks, we'll see you there. going on everybody welcome back to another episode of the wisconsin sportsman podcast which is brought to you by tacticam i'm your host pierce nellis and this is your home for all things outdoors in the badger state this week i've got a first for you guys uh we're gonna be talking predator hunting with mr drew schlem of the predator podcast drew's a wisconsin native grew up actually not too far from me and he has been piling up coyotes for about a decade now uh the two of us have a great conversation. I think you're going to learn a ton. We go through everything from, I mean, what are coyotes doing throughout the year? What are some misconceptions people have about them? How do you call them in? What gear do you really need to get into coyote hunting? Uh, and we also talk about hunting bobcats. Drew got lucky this year and drew a bobcat tag and was able to fill that a couple weeks ago here. Uh, we cover wolves a little bit and really we just talk through everything you need to know about predator hunting. So without further ado, we're just going to jump right in. But before that, folks, be sure to go give Drew a follow if you want to keep up on some of his awesome content at predator podcast underscore Drew on Instagram, uh, Drew Schlem on Facebook, or give his podcast a listen. You're going to learn a ton. And that is the predator podcast wherever you get your podcast. Let's dive on in. All right. Joining me on this week's episode, I've got Mr. Drew Schlem with the predator podcast. Drew, how you doing? Good. Happy to be here today. How are you? Doing well, man. Happy to have you. I'm uh, I'm real excited for this one. This is the first Predator episode we've ever done uh, on the Wisconsin Sportsman. Um, I've, you know, we were chatting before this about how, you know, I feel like you and I, well, we grew up, what, like 20 miles from each other and kind of yeah, knew. Yeah, not even. Miles. <laughs> yeah. Knew a lot of the same people, never really crossed paths, but, you know, saw a lot of uh, your photos with deer and coyotes and whatnot, but just haven't ever actually gotten to chat with you about hunting. So I'm I'm pretty fired up about this. Um, diving right in here. Well, we kind of alluded to it there, you know, growing up 20 miles or less from each other. Um, where are you from and how'd you get your start hunting? Uh, so I, I'm from Blancheville, Wisconsin. Um, been here my whole life, pretty much. Uh, farthest I ventured was about 10 miles from town here and, uh, lived out there for a couple of years, but, uh, pretty much, gosh, I pretty much started hunting 
I mean, I was tagging along with my dad probably as soon as I could walk dang near like four. Like I'm, there's some pictures of me really young out there chasing my dad around. Um, yeah. And then obviously I must've became, uh, uh, addicted to it at a young age and pretty much my whole life. I, it's pretty much been my, you know, driving passion. Um, as far as, you know, I've deer hunting, turkey hunting were pretty much my mainstays when I was younger. And then I think when I probably around, like I had to be like 12 ish when I shot my first coyote, um, still remember that like it was yesterday and then uh we just kind of chipped away at coyote hunting for you know till I was probably in high school and then I think when I got into high school like we kind of started to figure it out a little Mm -hmm. bit and then um once we started to kind of start having consistent uh yeah uh success we pretty much I just pretty much kind of ran with it and then uh I got really serious into it and, you know, I started a podcast, uh, my, my podcast called the predator podcast back in last year, 2021, it would have 2022, I guess it would have been. And, uh, that last year and yeah, it feels like it, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, just like kind of got fully, fully invested into it and started traveling and hunting different places and, yeah, it's just kind of uh it's definitely my uh favorite thing to do now and I can't seem to get to enough of it. So awesome, man. Yeah, I feel like I feel like in high school, once somebody gets a truck and everybody can pile in the back of it and go ripping around and figure stuff out, that's when you know things really start to get dangerous and you really start figuring things yep. out. Um so were you coyote hunting with your dad as well, or were you more uh dirt deer yep. and turkey with him? Yeah, I pretty much coyote hunted, or I pretty much hunted everything with him. Uh, we started coyote hunting, and him and one of his friends, I remember tagging along with them, you know, when I was really young and walking in, you know, snow up to my waist and mm-hmm. and doing all kinds of different things. I remember them calling in coyotes with hand calls. I remember all kinds of different things that we did when we were, or when I was younger, and following those guys around, and I learned a lot from them. And we sort of all learned together. Like, I mean, this was, you know, 15 years ago. And I would say there wasn't a ton out there yet for predator hunting. And it was kind of that thing that everybody did in the winter a little bit, you know, here and there, or a few guys did it. Um, Electronic calls were not real popular yet. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just kind of the, the start of it. And we just totally learned on the fly, which... I think is has benefited me greatly over the years because I've probably screwed up more things than you know you could possibly imagine because that's how I learned yeah. and have you know all these videos and podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff to learn from like we just totally learned from trial and error and right figured it out on the fly yeah man we've talked about that a lot on this show about back in the I don't want to call them the good old days, but before YouTube and where you had to go and read a book or you had to, you know, talk to somebody's dad who had, you know, had success and you asked them, well, what'd you do? Or, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to be losing that here, here soon with the onset of all this technology. And that's funny. You mentioned the, the electronic calls and all that stuff. So it, it was hand calls and mouth calls back then. Yeah. I mean, I remember like we, like my dad's friend like borrowed a buddy's fox pro 
that we like used mm-hmm. for a couple winters, like, but we used hand calls and then uh we eventually we would use that fox pro and then i remember eventually my dad got one and then we used that until until i got my own like you know six seven years ago or whatever it was Mm -hmm. so awesome so so as far as handheld calls go is it like the only handheld call i can think of is a pot call for turkeys what's uh what are the coyote calls or the predator calls i guess in general looking like or what 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 are they imitating i should say <laughs> uh basically you i mean you can basically make all the same vocalizations uh it's just you know knowing what you're saying is a lot harder to do on a on a uh a hand call so like okay. you can you know you have your distress calls your rabbit calls or or else you can have an open read that you can use for howling um and you can do like some pup distress type stuff on those too but um, obviously there's so much more you can do with, uh, with an electronic call nowadays and the sounds are so good that, uh, it's, it's really hard to beat. Right. Definitely. And so are you just while we're on the, on the topic of electronic calls and stuff, are you guys using decoys or anything, any sort of like an imitation of, I feel like everybody's walked through farm and fleet and seen like the little spinning, uh, it looks like a cat yep. toy almost with like the, the little hunk of fur on it that flops around and all yep. that are you guys using those or are they uh yeah so i i intensive? use i use a uh lucky duck revolt for a call and mm-hmm. it comes with a decoy on it like a spinner decoy kind of like you're talking sure. like a little furry tail thing mm-hmm. spins around um i use it i don't use it at night but during the daytime or the you know my dusk type sits or morning sits i always use it i feel like it's a big game changer personally i just think when they see it 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 creates a much uh stronger reaction and a break and come to the call right versus they might stand out there and look or right whatever. definitely is that so is it I, uh, i'm a believer gotcha is it do you ever have coyotes hang up because dude like my mind all i can think of is like calling and decoys and stuff like that my mind just wants to jump to turkey hunting and so i'm trying to like make a connection there i don't know if there is one it's probably just my own bias do you ever have coyotes come in and they hang up looking at the decoy or are they once they're on it they're pretty committed i would say they more or less they probably hang up more so because they see you um sitting there or something along those lines um otherwise they're like i would i guess i don't think they'll hang up if they see the decoy i think that's only gonna entice them i think okay. that if they hang up probably because they see you sitting there and otherwise they're just gonna swing the wind sure if they if they aren't sure about it or if they you know aren't comfortable they're just gonna swing the wind to get the wind of the call before gotcha. they come in got it are you using any sort of scent on the call if they go down there to wind it or is it more just nope all visual gotcha yep, no no scent on anything got it so is their vision pretty darn good and i guess the follow-up question to that is there obviously that you know everybody knows dogs have great senses of smell are you using any scent control like you would in the whitetail woods or is it all just play the wind and nope just play the wind in my opinion uh i know people that do it and Mm -hmm. you know i don't knock anyone for doing it i just don't feel like they're gonna fool their nose regardless of how much or how careful you are with your scent i mean sure. especially like now we got all this snow like people are going back into sets you're going to be sweating you're going to be um you know the walking's going to gonna suck and 
just in my opinion, I just don't think you're going to fool their nose. So sure. I just don't even, I've never, never done any scent control. I just, I'm super diligent about the wind, but I, I'm never going to bank on a coyote ever, ever like smelling stupid. me. And it, yeah. Like they just don't do it. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Absolutely. It, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Is the, is the snow helpful as you like, now that we're starting to, I know we got, I don't know what, like another eight inches coming. It's like Thursday, yeah, the 11th. Right. right now. <laughs> um, yes and no, it's helpful for the guy that wants to day hunt or, or hunt, you know, the last hour, first hour of light so mm-hmm. it gives you like an extra 15 minutes of shooting time. Sure. Um, but it is not typically not helpful for the guy who hunts at night in the sense of the snow is normally loud. Yeah. Um, to walk in and it creates some challenges for night hunting. Um, so you'll hear 99% of night hunters are going to say they hate snow. Um, and then every day hunter loves it because you can see them better and it gives you extra shooting and, and such and whatnot. And I think it does when you get enough snow, I do think they tend to get quote unquote hungrier. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, those are the main two differences between snow versus not snow, but quiet snow is, is good. I love, sure. I love quiet snow, but, uh, yeah, totally. I didn't even think about the, uh, the morning versus night hunter, but then also the, I mean, the fact that like when you're hunting coyotes, you can hunt them at night, right? Yep. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that alone, I, <laughs> I'm so, I was literally like about my mind wanted to jump to like, you know, are you, you said that extra 15 minutes of shooting light and stuff like that. Like my mind jumped to, um, you know, thinking well, about that's after you know, shooting time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. yep. <laughs> exactly. No, that, thank God there's no shooting time because I wouldn't shoot very many coyotes in the light if it wasn't, if there right. was. Do you tend to then, I'm, well, I'm assuming then you shoot the majority of your coyotes at, uh, at night after dark yeah i would say the way that hunting has changed in my lifetime i definitely have transitioned to more night Mm -hmm. but i would still prefer to shoot them in the daylight if i had the choice yeah um it's just getting harder because there's so many more people hunting them and there's so many more people night hunting um you know actually i'm starting like the last two years really started to have more success actually in the like your dusk dawn type setups just because sure. like nowadays people, people think of coyote hunting. They don't even, people don't even bother going out until it's dark out. So really? it's like almost that time of day that no one else is out there. So right. uh, I've noticed that, but yeah, I mean, obviously you're hunting a nocturnal animal at night. Like, you know, if you could deer hunt at night, obviously everybody would only hunt deer at night right. because that's when they're out. They right. Move. So, um, it's definitely, I hate using the word easier because it's not e- easier. Yeah. It's just, they're more active at night. They're nocturnal animals. So right. you have better odds at night and that's, you know, that's just the fact of it. But yeah, if I had the choice, like I just, I get so excited and so worked up when we shoot them in the daylight. Like when I shot, I shot one the other day. My buddy Cole shot one the other day. We both, and he said to me too, like, and I was just shaking like a leaf and like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like, I just don't get this at night. And he, he shot one, you know, a day later or whatever, 1130 in the morning. And he said the same thing. He's like, man, I just, I, there's nothing like that. And I'm like, no, I 
totally agree. That feeling is just, you just don't get it through a thermal or a night scope. So I still, I still try to do it as much as I can just because that, that feeling and that excitement is something that I hope to not replace. Right. Absolutely. I feel like this fall I saw way more coyotes and it might just be where I'm at, but I feel like the coyote numbers are pretty solid uh, around us, not to hotspot anything or anything like that. But I feel like just in general, I've yeah, seen no, more coyotes in the last year or so than, than in years. Yeah. Past. There's, they're saying that it's a high population year for whatever reason they okay. say it's because of lots of rabbits or I don't really know what it is, but yeah, I think it, I think it, I don't, I think it's fairly stable for the most part. I just, you know, for some, I think, I think some people might have a den on their property one year and see them a lot more than the next. And then the next year there might not be a den there. And sure. You know, they just think there's way more coyotes when really there might've just been a den there. Same okay. with trail camera pictures. It's hard to say, but I doubt, I mean, there's definitely tons of them around. So, right. I mean, there's no denying there's tons of them around here. It's a super high population. Uh, so yeah, that's, they're everywhere. Sure. What, um, so you mentioned dens there. How do you go about finding a den or do you find a den or is it just kind of pick a, uh, a spot that, you know, basically there's... the best way to find a den is probably to hear them howl at the, okay. at last light or first light. They're usually fairly close to where they're denning or, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not denning season right now, but like if you, if you were to hear them like from May to September, I mean, there's, if they're howling in the morning or the evening, they're, they're at their den. Like a lot of people, if they hunt them in the summertime or whatever, they'll go out and howl them in the morning and figure out where they're at. And then they'll, you know, go call them in there. Okay. And they usually aren't very far, but yeah, they're, they're not denning right now per se, but I do believe they still, uh, kind of hone in on certain areas and, and certainly sure. sort of hold up for the day. Sure. Is there any sort of be all the all together in a den? Right. Is there any sort of terrain feature or anything like that that tends to concentrate coyotes? Uh basically any kind of cover. Okay. And the thicker the cover, the more I believe the more prevalent coyotes will be. Um if there's like rocky bluffs, like rid like steep ridges, points, mm -hmm. uh anything like that, there's gonna be coyotes in it. Um, but I would say, you know, creek bottoms, any, but if I look at something, the thicker it is, the more I think, okay, there's coyotes in there. Okay. And the thicker, the better, in my opinion. So Sure. Is there any, so coyotes as they, you know, you're mentioning creek bottoms, you're mentioning rocky points, um, you know, ridge tops, stuff like that. My, my mind's thinking like, that sounds a lot like a, like a mature bucks, you know, yep. sweet spots. Is that, uh. Do you kind of approach that at least from a, from a scent standpoint or like a terrain feature standpoint of like, you know what, they're kind of doing the same thing. Um, they use terrain yep. in similar ways. I I would totally, totally side with you that I, I think I differ from a lot of people in the sense that I treat like coyote hunts, like I'm mature buck hunting. Like, okay. I'm so careful about the wind. I'm careful about my access. Uh, you know, I'm very targeted and where I'm planning on them being, and I feel like, you know, it, I feel like it, you know, I feel like it has me, get, gives me a little more success just in the sense of, uh, the things that I'm doing are not 
just by luck or chance. I'm not just going out there and setting my call in the field and hoping one comes out. Like, right. I'm very targeted in my approach and I don't think a lot of people do that, but I mean, especially if you want to kill them in the daylight, you, you almost have to, Okay. uh, at night you can get away with, you know, sitting out in the field and hoping they come to it. But in the daylight, I mean, it's, it's a mature buck hunt with me. Like sure, people probably don't people that come with me, like, all right, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're sitting. Like, this is what is going to happen. We got to be, you know, on pins and needles, not moving, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it, it reminds me a lot of a big buck hunt. Yeah. Totally. I like it. So then, all right, hot take here. If you're, let's say you're deer hunting and you see a coyote come rolling through or vice versa, yep. um, are you coming back to that spot to, you know, if you're like, okay, my, like this, this spot or this tree or, you know, this set checks out for this wind or whatever, I'm going to come back here and, um, you know, try for whatever I'm, you know, whatever I'm not hunting at the time. Um, yeah. I would say for sure. I, I mean, if I have a coyote come by me and I'm deer hunting, I'm shooting it if I can, (laughs) but no matter what I'm shooting it if I can, but, uh, yeah, I would say I just kind of always bank those things like, okay, like, especially the trail cam pictures and Mm -hmm. like sightings and stuff. I'm always like, oh yeah, I saw coyotes here this fall. Like I'm going to try to set up to call them out of that general area or something along those lines. Got it. So you mentioned denning season, stuff like that. What is the, like, I guess, when is denning season? You mentioned it was like May through September, but then what does the rest of the year look like for coyotes? What are they doing? So basically they, the, the, uh, they say that the, uh, the peak like breeding time for coyotes is February 14th, -hmm. which, uh, is Valentine's day. So makes sense. Uh, but, uh, then it's like May, I can't remember what the, what the time that they, until they have their pups, but it's in May sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime in May. And then they will pretty much den until like corn gets tall enough to like, I would say over knee high, waist high probably. Mm -hmm. And then they'll pretty much move into standing cornfields. Huh. Um, and just kind of like, like live in standing cornfields. I mean, they'll still, I'm sure they still den some yeah. or like go to their den, but like for the most part, they're going to live in like standing cornfields and, and whatnot until like September, September, October. And then October comes around and you're going to start to see like family groups. So like basically up until that point, they're going to be in family groups. There'll be a male and a female, usually the group of pups like this is when people will call in groups of like you know six seven eight nine ten coyotes at a time um and then once you start getting to like october november december at that point they're gonna start splitting up like the young the you usually have like an alpha male and a female that'll stay together and then the the young ones will split up and then that's what like people are gonna see around this time of year like roaming around by themselves is typically those younger ones um, cause the, the, the male and the female typically stay together in a pair, um, and are going to be that alpha pair together sure. and they'll stay together, breed whatever else. Um, and then the, usually the young ones are the ones that are out, you know, roaming the area. Gotcha. So then when it's, uh, you know, pre-breeding season or I guess 
sort of pre-coyote rut, um, did the males start getting pretty territorial or I guess the females as well? Are they like, do you ever see that where they're, you know, kind of going at each other or maybe they start, you know, if somebody wanders Yeah. into the wrong territory, they, anything like Yeah. that? They definitely do. Um, it's just, uh, they, I don't think they're as territorial as people think Okay. they might be in certain areas. I shouldn't say that. Sure. It, it reminds me a lot of turkeys. Like Okay. when, when there's a lot of turkeys in an area, it seems like they don't react to each other as much. But Okay. if you get to an area where there's less of them, you know, like it seems like, you know, you can call a turkey in a lot easier in an area where there's fewer of them because Right. they aren't used to hearing turkeys all the time. In my opinion, that's the same thing with coyotes. I think when there's more of them, their, their ranges are smaller, their territories are smaller. So I think it's harder from a caller's perspective to call, actually call them in because you need to get closer to them Right. versus an area where there might be fewer of them. They're, you know, they're like, they might be like, oh, who's that? You know, I better go check it out, get them off my territory. When Sure. I think when there's you know, 25 of them in one block, they might be like, oh, I'm used to hearing that. Or it's just, you know, Joey, the coyote over there. I'm not, I'm used to hearing him over there. So um, I think that's kind of, that's at least my take on it. And I've hunted with people that hunt other places and have hunted with me and I've hunted with other people and we've all kind of agreed on it, but I think that uh, there's no real science to it. I just, that's just my opinion on how it, how it kind of rolls. Got it. Interesting. So then <clears throat> on the note of seasonal, you know, transitions and stuff like that, obviously right now coyotes have their big, thick, you know, pretty winter coats on and everything like that. And in the summer Yep. they get, you know, a lot more sparse. Um, when you guys are hunting them this time of year, are you guys selling pelts or is it uh, what, what all goes into it? Uh, so I take them typically to uh, a fur a place that does uh, like fur or whatever whatever it they is. do. Yeah. Yeah, they do all kinds of different things um, with the, they sell like, <laughs> the skulls and all different parts of them and okay. use the hides for things. Um, don't get any money for it, but I still feel like it's better than just shooting them and leaving them out Yeah. there. Yeah, totally. So I at least feel better about doing something with them. Right. Uh, so that's pretty much what I do. I don't even know what all they do with them besides they do stuff with the hides, make like hats and all kinds of different things. Uzis are popular. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I do with them. Gotcha. I wasn't sure if it was a similar thing. It was like the guys who are out there trapping and all that. And, you know, they have their, their hide guy that they pile them all up and give them out. Or if that's, you know, I don't know if they lose value because they've got, you know, a hole in them or anything like that, but, um, Yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I just know they're not worth anything. So it's, okay. I mean, they're really not worth hardly anything at all. So Gotcha. Just doing something with them to me, though, is better than just throwing them in the ditch or in the, you know, into the trees or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you, have you noticed like the, I haven't looked at fur prices. I don't know many people who have, like, does it seem like coyote pelts, like the price of those things kind of ebbs and flows, like just about everything else, or is it kind of consistently fairly It, low? it's been consistently low, like Okay. three, three, four years ago, it was better. Um, but I'm pretty sure like, uh, when a lot of this stuff happened with the government and we lost our relationships with some of the foreign countries who were major fur buyers, I think
Okay. That was the driving force to take the price down permanently. So okay. I just don't see it coming back anytime soon. Interesting. Very interesting. So we kind of mentioned trap in there. Um, we've talked a lot about just kind of coyotes and stuff like that. I feel like they, they just in general, coyotes have kind of this bad rap. You know what I mean? Like they're like people see these mangy, scrawny little things that are wandering through the suburbs and digging through, uh, you know, their, uh, their garbage or in the back alley and everyone's like, Oh, gross. Like, you know, just they're nasty things. What, what do you think are some misconceptions that folks have about coyotes in general? Well, one of the main misconceptions is like what you just said right there is actually like one of the main things is like people see the ones that people see are probably like young, mm -hmm. sick. Like there's probably something wrong with them almost, or right. they're just young because like, those are the ones that people are seeing for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like I'm betting the vast majority of the general population that doesn't hunt has probably rarely ever seen like an alpha male and female right like just out roaming the you know out off the road or mm -hmm. or something random like that like the deer the the coyote that you see on the side of the road eating on a dead deer is probably a this year's pup that you sure. know has no idea what it's doing um so i think that's definitely a definitely one but uh i think a lot of people just take for granted how smart they are or don't sure. don't um, don't approach them as smart as they are because, you know, people just say they're, oh, they're coyotes, they're, you know, shoot them all or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, oh, I see them here all the time. I'll just go sit and call them in. You know, it doesn't matter what the wind is or what time of day I go there. You know, they're there all the time. I hear right. them all the time. There's 20 of them down there. And uh, <clears throat> that's probably a big misconception. I think people just take for granted how smart they really are. And, Probably the other one that I hear a lot is from like landowners, farmers, like non-hunters, um, even people that are new to hunting, I guess, to coyote hunting. Like they hear them howling and they're like, oh man, there's, there's 10 of them down there. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's 20 of them in my woods. I hear them every night. And I'm like, yeah, there's maybe two or three, like really? two or three of them sounds like 10 of them. Like, yeah, I've seen like maybe the funny thing is, is like, you see, if you have like, if you call and you hear these groups howl and they come in, like I've seen three come in. I've seen, you know, I've seen big numbers of them come in, but like the difference of three and like six, you can't really tell the difference between the, the two different group sizes. Sure. But like, I would say in general, there's probably two or three of them. They just, for some reason have a way of sounding like there's 10 of them just by the way they yip and take turns mm -hmm. and, and whatever else. But interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I feel like uh, you hit it on the head that they think that they're dumb or there's uh, or there's a pile of them down there. And yeah, I hear them howling every single night and like, whatever, if I want to go coyote hunt and shoot one, I can just go, I'll just wander down there in the evening and do it. But like, man, you, you step right. on, you snap one stick or you do one thing or you interrupt when they're, they're howling or anything like that. And man, those things shut up quick and just turn into ghosts. Yep. Like it's, and they I, sure do. And I've, I've, I've killed one in my life and it was during Turkey season when he came into my buddy's calling. <laughs> like, yep. you know, I've, I've tried it. I tried it when I was in high school with, uh, I just had like a, a little Bluetooth speaker and I set up on a downloaded, like a coyote calling app or something like that and set up on a field edge. And, uh, 
I, it was like right when the first one kind of started sounding off, I just did like a little locator howl and they responded back and dude, that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Like yep. Yep. <laughs> that is a, that is a different game when it comes to calling. So on that note, um, when do you like to call? What kinds of calls do you like to do? And then just in general, like, how are you calling in coyotes? I guess, how does that differ so, throughout the year? Well, I guess th there's like a core, like six sounds. They'll probably work year round. Like, I mean, it doesn't, there isn't a whole ton of variance throughout the year as far as what calls are going to work. It just might, like, as far as what you can play, it just might, as what they come into might change. Sure. Um, I would say, so right now, I mean, with snow, I'll do a lot more um, sets in the morning or in the evening. Um, I, if I, I have, if I can help it, I would prefer to hunt them in the like last like hour. I would, I literally will look at the, the, what the, my phone says for just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin sportsman podcast I'm is brought to you by Tacticam like makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Like They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday um, outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. One area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the Sportsman and I in feel mind. like you have if you've tried to film your hunting and fishing day, excursions, I don't you know just how out. frustrating like, it can be to try to get like an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon when you, or in a good spot in, for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes like all of that a breeze with like their lineup mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, Head over to their website, really tacticam.com, I mean, the and share your hunt affects with it Tacticam. A little bit, but like, if like if we get loud snow, I have a spot that I want to call, and it's way back in there. Like, I have no problem doing it at dusk, but I think you doing it at night. I think you can blow them all out of there because they're already out. Sure. So like, I just I'll go take my chances of going back there at last light. Sit there. I'll sit there for a half an hour before I even start calling. You know, start calling, so on and so forth. Um. Basically the way I look at every stand is when I went to, I went to a seminar when I was probably like 14. Um, and the, the guy basically said like coyotes will come in for, for three reasons. Um, it's the breed to eat or to fight. So basically I try to hit those three categories on every single stand. Sure. Um, regardless I mean, if it was in the spring or summer, I probably would not play any breeding sounds, but in the like fall, like even people think like it's not breeding season, but like October through, I mean, through March, probably you can play any of those sounds. So I basically will always play like some sort of female howl, some sort of uh rabbit distress or a bird distress of some kind. Uh, and then I'll, always do some kind of pup distress or a coyote fight of some sort. Uh, I might do like a, if that's at night, I'll do more vocals to start. Mm -hmm. If it's in, in the dusk situation, I'll start with, uh, I'll start with distress sounds and finish with howls. Um, and I, people get so wrapped up in you know, what sounds do I play? What sounds are working? You know, I get messages all the time. What, you know, what are you playing right now? What's working? And I'm like, 
90 percent of the time it's the same things like you know from last year to the year before to the year before that it's the same things that work year over year it's just it's just a matter of setting up right being in the right spot like hunting your spots at the right time um and i don't think and i also don't think it's as much of what you play it's how you play it you know it's your volume it's your you know things like that um yeah I, i would say I mean, any time at night is, I mean, from, from dark to dark is good. And then the first half hour on either side, I would say are your high odds times. And then outside of that, you probably, it's taken a good setup of your tight to them or you sparked a reaction or you got lucky. Sure. Got it. So when you're going into a, going into a stand for, for a, you know, a sit, are you, I guess, are you committed to that one spot or do you have a couple of spots in the back pocket and you're willing to move around? Um, or I guess, how long do you give a sit every time you go in? I, I pretty much have one spot in mind. I mean, I, I pretty much look at everything extensively ahead of time, Mm -hmm. whether it's on Onyx or I like to see everything in person before I actually step foot on it, because I think that you can really mess yourself up by just setting up just a little bit wrong because they, if there's a way they're going to exploit a weakness in your setup, they will. And I just would prefer to see it in the daylight before I go in there at night and, and they get around me and smell me or whatever, because then it's, then now you really messed it up and it's going to be tough to call them in again. Sure. So yeah, I would say I pretty much have normal, like one spot that I'm probably, that's probably the best spot I have in mind. Um, I might just have like, a, okay, I want to get to this area and wherever I can see the best, I'm going to sit. Sure. Uh, I would say, and then I would say I, my setups in the, in the day, like in the dusk, dawn situations, dusk, mm-hmm. there's, I'm probably there for an hour. Um, but I probably might only be calling for like 30 to 45 minutes. Okay. Um, and you know, on and off every five minutes or whatever at night, I would say setups are normally in the 20 minutes to a half hour range. Okay. Um, I get up to an hour depending on if I hear them, see them, uh, if I think, you know, maybe they might howl late in the stand and they're close, I might stay longer. Um, but I would say if nothing's happening, I usually know it within the half hour and if nothing's happening, I'm out probably. Okay. Gotcha. So if you go in and you say you, you bump one or say they, they get downwind of you or anything like that, how long are you resting a spot? Like, are you going to just keep trying while you're there or are you going to, you know, back out of there and come back in a week? So I probably do. There's this, this is one thing I'm trying to expand my horizons on right now. Cause mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of people at them on my podcast that are, that kill lots more coyotes than I do. And they, um, hit spots a lot more frequently than I do. Okay. Um, you know, the only thing is, is that I feel like we're in a unique area like in the southern part of wisconsin that is very 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 pressured and populated like as far as like right there's just a lot of human traffic in in the woods on the roads you know i did set the other a couple weeks ago in a spot that just looked unbelievable and there's people walking dogs on the road and there's Mm -hmm. you know people talking at the house and like dogs barking and just a lot of commotion and 
I probably, I, I like to say that I hit my good spots three times a year. Like okay. I will hit them once like in November, like November, December, January, probably I'll try to hit everything once in February. And then I'll try to get to everything one last ditch effort in like March. Okay. Um. So I would say I try, I honestly try to stay out of places for two weeks, even regardless of whether I, I called one in or didn't. Really? The only difference that I would maybe make is like, if I went to a spot, which happens like turn on rabbit, uh, distress, whatever, and, or played one howl and killed one in like, you know, a couple of minutes, um, in the day and age of suppressors, like you're probably doing really, really minimal intrusion at all. Sure. So like in those situations, I might just shoot the coyote. I might continue the set if I think it's good, but if like, I might just shoot it grab it leave i might and then maybe i would come back you know within the week but okay for the most part i try to wait at least two weeks gotcha so do you think coyotes there it sounds like they're a heck of a lot more sensitive to human intrusion than deer maybe um honestly <laughs> my mind keeps jumping back to like you sounds like you're hunting these things like mature bucks where if you know something goes down yep. you're you're giving them plenty of time so you don't find that coyotes are there they grow a tolerance to you know, the dog walkers, the the people talking on the porch, stuff like that. I think that they grow a tolerance to them in a sense of they might still be there, yeah. but in, but the, the chances of them coming, advancing to my call while all this is going on, I think are very slim. Got it. So they might still be there, but I mean, they're staying hidden, you know, laid up, whatever, out of sight, out of right. mind. I think I just... And like if I even have people's dogs barking very close to me, I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't like this. You know, I'm, I've seen it work. Yeah. But I just say, you know, your chances are a lot smaller. Right. Gotcha. So you mentioned suppressors there and I want to circle back to that in yep. a minute, but while we're still on calling um, for somebody getting into it, who just wants to, they're listening to this right now, or they've listened to a couple of your podcasts and stuff. And they're like, man, that sounds like a ride. I want to get in. What are the, I guess you mentioned there's like a hand, only a handful of calls that you really, you know, need. Um, what do you really yep. need to get into it from a, from a calling standpoint? I mean, hand calls work fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're definitely more challenging in the sense of you can get away with, like I can get the call, my electronic call, I can get away from me and I can use the wind to my advantage to get them in front of me or sure. in range for a shot. I think when you're running hand calls, you're going to get a lot more of like, they're circling around you or, you know, they stay out there at, you know, three, 400 yards or out sure. of range or whatever. Um, I mean, realistically you can get decent electronic calls for, you know, I mean, I saw the one on sale the other day for like 120 bucks. Okay. I mean, they, you can get pretty reasonable calls with really good sounds. I mean, for a small amount of money. <clears throat> and then the nice thing about coyote hunting is you can, you can use any, any gun you have like, sure. If it's a rifle, I mean, shotguns obviously going to be hard, but I mean, people do it. Mm -hmm. You just have to be even more conscious of your setup and wind and such and so on and so forth. But I mean, from a, you know, a, a 22 mag to a, you know, 300 wind mag, you know, I mean, in all, all reality, you can use whatever gun you have laying around any deer rifle, as long as it's sighted in uh, a lot of people forget that part but as long as it's sighted <laughs> in and you can hit them i 
it'll work. You don't really need much else to, to call coyotes. So that's kind of the nice, nice part about it. Right. How far are your shots typically? Um, um, somebody asked me this the other day about my average shot. I would say it's probably 120 to 160 yards. Okay. I would say we shoot a few of them closer, like in your 80 yard range. Not too often they get closer. Um, I would say out to 300 is, I mean, if it's daylight, you know, farther, maybe 600, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, in, at night I don't usually, usually shoot past 300 yards. Gotcha. Sure. Yeah. Three, I think 300 yards in daylight's even a poke, but yeah, I can't imagine that at <laughs> night, man. How does your, uh, I guess, what do you look for in a setup as far as like, is it similar to like Turkey concealment or how does that factor in? Cause I think a lot of people might be thinking, you know, okay, well, I'm hunting them at night. It's dark out. How good does my concealment really need to be? So if the, if it's dark out, I think like if there's no or, or small moon or uh, it's cloudy, I don't think it much matters ex- uh, except for I would try not to be skylined. Yep. Um, But yeah, if it's a full moon or a brighter moon and there's snow now, especially like mm-hmm. you're going to want to hide somewhere, like whether it's just up against anything in a shadow of a sure. tree, um, a hay bale, uh, you know, anything that you can sort of break up your outline. But if I have to sit in the wide open to, because it's the best spot and I can cover it the best, I will sit there. The only thing that I will expect to happen when the moon's brighter is they'll hang up farther. Like my shots might be 200 yards. They're not going to come into 80 yards on those nights when it's brighter. Right. Um, And you're definitely going to have to be like, like with, me and you know two buddies or whatever it's like all right i'm covering this area you cover that area you cover that area and one comes in you shoot it like because you're not going to get much time before they see you or see us sitting here or whatever so that's basically the only difference um i obviously in in the daylight it's it's similar in the daylight i will try to i will try to hide a little more in like your dusk situations just Mm because obviously if it's light out they can see you better yeah um but again if i have to sit in the open i will I was just hope to get the call away from me to hope that they get their eyes on the call, not on me. And I can shoot them before they see me, but I will sure. expect them to see me at some point and I'll be hopefully ready to kill them by the time they can see me. Gotcha. So they got pretty darn sharp eyes. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty, pretty good at their craft. Yeah. Just KG in general. <laughs> Are you ever yep. using uh blinds or anything while you're out there? No, nope. I've, I've sat in like a, like a box blind before, like okay, sure. just cause you could see the best out of it. Yeah. Like on some people's property, they have, you know, rolling hills and ditches and stuff. And just being in that up in that elevated uh, platform, you could see a little better. So I've done that. But if I could help it, I wouldn't be just because I can't move around, like can't adjust as quickly. And, yeah, you know, as I as I would if I was on the ground. Totally. So you mentioned I mean, we've talked you mentioned it briefly earlier about you know, whether you're shooting a, a night vision scope or a thermal scope. Walk me through that buying process and how you're shopping for those and uh, just some of the gear and stuff. Also, how are you filming those, too? Because, dude, like some of the footage you've been putting out recently, if you just balling up coyotes at night, I mean, it looks like something out of Call of Duty for one. But like, yeah, it, that's crazy stuff. Yeah, it's uh it's it's pretty fun for sure. Um thankfully the videos the the scopes have video 
uh, on them. Okay, sure. So I just have to record on my scope uh, to to start recording. Nice. And uh, yeah, so I guess the process of buying a thermal basically is how much do you want to spend on it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I get a, a lot of questions about thermals and what I should buy. And, and my always follow-up question is how much do you want to spend? Right. And then based on how much you want to spend, you will have to f- get, you know, get the best quality for your money. And I mean, mm-hmm. anymore, I mean, thermals have came a long ways and I mean, they're becoming so much more affordable and quality that's affordable. Um, basically the way I picked the one I got is basically, I just went and looked at like, I don't even know, 20, 30 different scopes mm-hmm. and just looked at them all side by side went through them all individually and um, picked basically picked the one I liked that looked, looked the best to me. Um, I don't get too wrapped up in like technical specs and like, you know, all the numbers that there can be on them. Basically I just looked at them. You, you know, you find your price range, you know, maybe pick like three, four scopes and then just look at them, like look right. through them, see what they look like. Are they comfortable? Are they clear? Do you like, you know, how it looks? basically is all, all I get wrapped up into is just how does it look to me? And, you know, can I hit something with this thing? And that's obviously number one. Definitely. And I think the customer service part and because it is electronic, the warranty, the customer service, stuff like that is important too, but everybody's come a long ways in that front. So that's pretty much, you know, the extent of it is basically comes down to what, what you want to spend go find a, find a dealer, find, you know, find someone like me that hunts a lot of them or mm-hmm. someone, someone, you know, that shoots them a lot and just ask them like, Hey, what's your opinion? What's the best scope I can buy for, you know, $2,000 or, you know, whatever it may be. I feel like most people anymore are going to give you a good, good uh, recommendation and right. steer you the right direction. Sure. That was going to be my next question. What's your, uh, what would you recommend for, I guess one, what do you run? And two, what's a good like starter thermal for somebody looking to get into it? So I, right now I have the, the IRA bolt H 50 C. Um, it's pretty, pretty impressive. I've yeah. seen my videos and yeah. it's, <laughs> it's awesome. And, uh, if I was starting out, I would probably look at like the, there's an IRA bolt TL 35 and there's a IRA bolt TL 25, like SE. Um, those are two more affordable options, but like for the money, they're dang hard to beat. Sure. Um, so I would definitely, definitely look at those. Um, yeah, I just gravitated towards the IRA scopes just because they have a five day fix and replace policy for five years. So like if I have something happen to my scope, I'm going to have a new one or fixed one and within five business days. Cause I just can't have my scope be down for, right. you know, for that long or my winner is going to get away from me. So, right. Uh, it's part of it. And then obviously the quality comes with it. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what went into it for me. Yeah. Dude, a five day turnaround on something like that's huge. I mean, I, yeah, I work in the fly fishing industry and that's, you know, I, we're, I'm, I'm very pro Orvis because they've got like a three to five day typically replacement yep. window as well. And like, man, when the season's like at its peak and stuff and you need that thing back, like, you know, when you've yep. got, you can't afford to have something out for four months to be replaced or anything like that. Like, it's just, that's nuts. Um, 
is there much of a market for like reselling those scopes or you know like can you find yeah them on craigslist or marketplace or ebay yeah and stuff like that it's you a pretty can good find market them used demoed i mean they're even de dealers have a lot usually okay have some used stuff on hand sure and yeah especially like right now shot shows in like two weeks Mm there'll -hmm. be new thermals coming out people will be selling thermals there'll be Right. prices we up and um yeah it's i mean coming up on a good time to buy one if people are in the market Definitely. I'm starting to get interested in one of these things. But <laughs> um, so I, I had a question. I was talking about, you know, that we were going to be talking predator hunting and, you know, technology and stuff with my buddy Gus earlier. And he posed a really good question to me that I'd like to ask you. Do you think predator hunting is driving advancements in more tactical hunting gear like night vision scopes and suppressors? Um, or do you think they're more so or do you find yourself using more like, well, this was designed for military use, but I'm using it for predator hunting or um, how, how do you think, I guess, which one do you think is the driving force more so? Um, I would say predator hunting is very much so driving like the thermal optics and the, Okay. and the night, night hunting, uh, things like there is some crossover between the tactical stuff. Like if you're starting to talk like helmet mounted thermals, um, and stuff like that, I mean, that's the helmet and stuff comes from the military side, but like the monoculars and stuff that are made for them, you know, are pretty much made for, for, uh, you know, for, for hunting. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what the military uses, but Mm-hmm. it's gotta be similar, but better. Uh, and I think, yeah, somewhere along those lines, but yeah, I would say for sure it's driving the market of, of even cross function between tactical and hunting. It's becoming Right. pretty, pretty, pretty intertwined between predator hunting and, uh, the tactical side. Got it. I like it, man. I like that a lot. Um, I just had a question on that and it totally just floated right out of my mind. It'll come back to me. Um, so we've been talking coyotes a lot. But that's not the only predator that we can hunt in the state of Wisconsin, is it? You happen to True have... that. Uh, piled up a pretty large cat not too long ago could you uh walk me through hunting for bobcats in the state of wisconsin um i know they've got stricter seasons it's a tighter window you mentioned it's a you know two to three year you know tag draw and stuff like that what goes into Yep. bobcat hunting is it similar to coyote hunting um or how do you how do you go about that So it it's it's similar, yes, but but it's also not. okay in the sense of you like the thing about bobcats is majority of people um will trap them um Yeah. they're just not they're not e they're not easy to trap but they're not they're certainly not easy to call in Right. uh i don't know the where the where the line is but there's a line somewhere middle about middle of the state and north of there there's the bobcats tags are i think easier to get Yeah. but uh in the southern half at least it took me i i think i drew mine on the third year Okay. um and i got the early season so like october 15th until christmas and then Mm there's hmm a second season which is december 26th through like uh i think is the end of january or maybe february 15th i don't know i'm not 100 percent sure on the second window but i went for the early season tag just simply because i knew that come like about About Christmas time and after I really start hunting coyotes a lot and I knew Mm -hmm. I sure wasn't going to want to take time to, 
to solely cat hunt. So I went for the early season tag and, um, basically I had pictures of cats all fall on my trail cameras all over on around standing cornfields and whatnot. And then the second the standing corn came off, the cats disappeared. And I got maybe a handful of pictures of cats the rest of the rest of the year. And I kind of was like, crap, like, I don't even, I don't know where these things are at or, you know, so basically I made a few sets in October and November and just nothing. I killed, I think one coyote, but, uh, yeah. So I was kind of getting frustrated. Didn't really know, you know, what to do, you know, cause they're just so elusive and like, I would get trail camera pictures of them. I'd go call them. Somebody would send me a trail cam picture of one. I'd go call them. And like, I just found myself like my biggest pet peeve with deer hunting is chasing trail cameras. And like, I found myself chasing trail cameras for cats and not having any luck. And I was just getting super frustrated just cause I'm like, I know they're here and I can't call them in. Like, I don't know what what I'm doing wrong. So I'm like, you know what? I I don't know why I did that. Like, I know better than that. I'm just going to throw it out the window and, I'm going to go and just make sets where I think where I know or think there is cats and eventually I will hopefully run across one. So basically the difference, like I've, I listened to a lot of podcasts and things like, Mm -hmm. you know, honestly, if I didn't have those resources, it would have been a lot harder for me. But like, I listened to people that said like, just, just make 10 minute stands, move on, move four or 500 yards, do another one. So it get it got to be like I don't know I can't remember what exactly the date was that I killed mine but it was in December. I had must have been must have been like eight days before eight or ten days before my deadline because yeah. like I had cleared the entire week like I was gonna call every morning every night like I'm gonna just go hard this last week and I'm not gonna give myself any excuses besides that I didn't get one or didn't call one in I'm not gonna let my effort you know deter me or be my failure failure here. Right. So I had cleared that entire week. Me and my buddy, my buddy had cats all over one of his properties. We had talked about it all fall. Like we got to get out there. We got to get out there. And it was like Saturday night at like eight o'clock. He calls me and he's like, Hey, you want to go hit those spots tomorrow? And I look at the weather. I'm like, Oh, it's not going to be very nice out. Like, should we go? But he's like, yeah, we can, whatever. And I'm like, I better not pass up on this opportunity to go call these spots. So like wake up the next morning, look at my phone is like rain coming. So I'm like, well, do you want to go? And he's like, well, I'm already putting gas in my truck. So I'm like, well, shit, he already got up and left. So I better not leave him hanging. We better go. So we go out, make first stand, call a coyote and kill it. I'm like, all right, this is good. You know, whatever. We killed the coyote this morning. I'm happy. He's happy. We we're, we we're pumped. Made another stand that I actually thought looked really good. We we're like 600 yards away, made another stand, nothing. Then we went to the next stand. It's like 830 in the morning now. And uh set up in this bottom. I start calling. It was like two, three minutes in, I think. And uh he spots something coming. And I'm I'm looking and I'm like, okay. He's like, it's coming off the hill over here. I'm not sure what it is yet, but it's coming. And I look and I just catch a flash of this cat running down this hill. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And right away we both are like, it's a cat. Like, yeah, it's a cat. And I knew right at that time, I knew it was coming. Right. So I knew it was coming. I just knew it was going to be a matter. It had to come down into this creek bottom and there was like tall grass and a creek and stuff. I just knew that it was going to be a matter of where is he going to come out at. Right. And you know, so 
I'm like just scanning, 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 trying to find this thing. And eventually it like just crawls out to the edge, just super, super slow. And like, this thing is hard to see. Right. Like, I mean, they just are so stealthy and, and sneaky. Like I, I wonder how often they're around or how often people call them in and don't see them. Right. And it just crawled to the edge of the grass and it stood and just froze staring at my spinner on my call. It was like a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. So I just took like super extra careful time and, and squeezed the trigger and plopped him right there. But oh. it was, it was honestly one of the most exciting things I've ever done. Um, and I've called lots of coyotes in and, you know, a lot of different places, but like that rush was like nothing I've ever experienced. And we were, I mean, we were ecstatic about it. Yeah, dude, I can imagine. I didn't even think about the fact that they're extremely well camouflaged and also they're moving in like yeah. a cat. <laughs> like yeah, they're freezing, right. they're moving a little bit, they're freezing again. Like, dude, yep. that is, oh, that yeah, it was, start it was awesome. tags. <laughs> I would, I would, if I was you, <laughs> dude, I, I've is... been telling people to have tags. I'm like, I'll come call for you. I'll just come. I just want to come and watch and right. hope to see, see another come in, but that's not that much different. The only difference is, is like, I, you just played distress sounds. I mean, I don't sure. think, you know, rabbit distress, bird distress, woodpecker, you know, whatever it is. I just think that, I think that they're not as hard to call in as people think. I just mm-hmm. think that you have to get it close to one sure. and being close to one is the hard part cats. Right. So we just bounced around, you know, did the same thing pretty much like 10, 15 minute stands. And then eventually we, we got in that bubble of one and it came in just like that. And I think that's, you know, I think that's the key. If a guy wanted to shoot a cat is just the, and I, and I, a lot of people will say the wind doesn't matter for cats. I refuse to believe that if an animal can smell me, that it's going to help my odds. Right. So I still hunted the wind, like not like a coyote where I would hunt a crosswind, but like cats, as long as I had the wind in my favor, like it was fine. Mm-hmm. But like, I just was not gonna, I was not going to go. And, and I also am too scared to educate coyotes. So yeah. I don't want to go into a place and blow all my wind right through somewhere, have all the coyotes educated, whatever. But I just was like, I'm not, I'm not going to educate coyotes and I'm not going to blow my wind at something intentionally you right. know, to and then try to kill it. So I, that's probably something that's different that most people, if you hear anybody that says stuff about cats, they'll always say, Oh, the wind doesn't matter. Don't worry mm-hmm. about the wind. But I, I did just simply from the fact that I don't think it could help. So right, I wanted definitely. Every, everything I could have to help me. Definitely, man, that is so freaking cool. So that was, you mentioned it was down on a creek bottom. So similar types of terrain and yep. stuff like that. What, you also mentioned that the wet weather was crappy that morning. You were a little apprehensive. Yep. What is good weather for predator hunting in general? So uh, there's a lot of different, I have a lot of theories on weather. And uh, I believe that like a calm, calmer, like if it's over 15 mile an hour wind, I'm not, not very excited about going. I probably won't go unless I was in a tournament or something. Okay, but sure. I I would prefer not to hunt in over 15 mile an hour wind. Mm-hmm. Um, cloudy, sunny, doesn't really matter. Okay. Um, I think sunny is better for coyotes. Um, just because I think that they tend to they're like dogs, you know, they like to lay in the sun or mm-hmm. you know whatever. So I think that they're in theory out a little more when it's sunny. But uh, basically. 
the main thing I look for is lighter, lighter winds, like under 15 miles an hour. Um, if it's over 10 miles an hour, I'm going to try to get out of it in a bottom or somewhere. Sure. Um, but if it's under 10, I'm pretty pumped about it. And I think one of the, one of the biggest misconceptions, at least in my experience, this could change. Someone else could have a different opinion, but I've hunted for a long time and hunted after a lot of storm fronts. And my opinion is like the following a snowstorm, like people think like as soon as the snow quits, oh yeah, they're going to be out everywhere. You know, they're going to be moving. But I personally think the day after a snowstorm. So like if like the snow we just had that ended this morning, yeah, like, like tonight after dark might be okay. But like this morning I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have went just cause I like if it, and if like it snows, you know, it's going to snow tomorrow. It's going to snow until Saturday. I don't believe that or until Saturday morning, most people would say, Oh yeah, it's going to snow's done. Let's get out and hunt. Well, I personally will wait until that late that evening before I'm going to try to go or even the next day if I can help it, because sure. for some reason, I don't know what it is about coyotes here. Cause like when I was in Kansas last week, it snowed till 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. We went out at a 12 o'clock it, and we called in a double on our first four stands. If I were to do that here, like I'm, I would say, if I called in one coyote, I'd be lucky or thrilled that I did. Right. It's just something about it. For some reason, following storm fronts, it takes them a little bit to like come out or, you know, maybe they're just hunting the woods and they're just not, you know, wanting to come to a call, but that's just my experience with calling them, you know, in like 10 years, you know, 10 years now of really focusing on it. Like it's, it's definitely, we've definitely, got a lot more successful when we stopped hunting those uh right on the back end of a front right but the front end is good i will say the front end is always good right before a storm yep right before right when it starts snowing okay like if you gotcha. can get out there if it starts snowing at five o'clock and it's dark at five fifteen, that's dynamite like that's huh. some of the best time all one in my interesting opinion. That's super interesting. Really good to know too. No rhyme or reason behind any of it. Just like, this is my experience from hunting them for a long time and right. doing it and doing it, doing it and being like, why am I not killing them? And just what we kind of figured out. So, right. In your conversations with other guys um, on your podcast and stuff, have you found they have similar experiences as well? Mm, probably not. Most of them know because most of them are not, in Wisconsin. Okay. Right. Um, but the guys that are in Wisconsin, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how they feel about it. I guess I've never even asked them about it, but gotcha. most of them, you know, most, most of those guys are hunting, you know, at night or all night. So I feel like, you know, if it's, they're not going to hunt the daylight anyway. So sure maybe doesn't matter as much to them, but Got it. I still think following a snowstorm, even if it's dark out, I don't, I still don't think it's going to be good or it takes maybe if it's done at, you know, five, it might be till midnight before it turns on mm-hmm. and they might hunt all night, but it just might not turn on until midnight. Sure. So that's basically the only difference. Interesting. So you mentioned that Southern Wisconsin is kind of its own thing. Have you done much in Northern Wisconsin? I have not. Nope. But I got a buddy up there and he does pretty well. Okay. Gotcha. Do it. He calls it, a lot more of daylight. Really? What do you yeah. think the uh, the difference is there? Is it just lack of pressure 
or is it more so yep, the, I think the there's difference pressure, there's bigger there's bigger timbers there's more okay. cover sure uh, he's just able to get away from people a little bit more um i just think around here you know you have you have seven different landowners in one block of timber or one block area there might be four different people to call that's all for this week's episode as always thank you so much for tuning in if you dig this show be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast while you're at it if you could leave me a five-star review i would very much appreciate that you can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on instagram at the wisconsin sportsman or at how to hunt deer that's also the best way to get a hold of me suggest topics we didn't see a person questions that you'd like me to explore on the show big thanks to our partners tacticam Unworth it on X. Like, Please go support the brands that, that support like this here, show. It's like, and if you're looking for more you know, great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com. You know, where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt you know, Deer podcast, really? as well as a ton of other awesome So you'll actually have podcasts. that many. Folks. And until so next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible yeah, it's, natural resources it's, it's that are ours as Wisconsin. I would say, even too, like in the last three years, like our average shot distance has went from like we used to kill them at. 80, 40, 50, 80, mm-hmm. 100 yards all the time. And like we kill more of them at, you know, two to 300 yards than ever just because they are not as bound to pile in. Dang. That's wild, man. I had no idea. So, on the note of this Northwood hunting or Northwoods hunting and stuff like yep. that, I think on a Predator podcast, we would be remiss not to mention uh something that everybody likes to talk about these days in that uh wisconsin's got some wolves running around um yep i know colorado just decided that they're gonna release i don't know i don't remember what the number was that they were gonna put out there but um those gray wolves are federally managed they've got their own season in the state of wisconsin have you ever hunted them and do you have any other plans to hunt them uh, I have not hunted them yet, but yes, I would love to sure. whenever I can get the chance. And if it doesn't ever open back up here, I hope to go out west or to Canada or something hunt them someday. Sure. I'm uh, just going to think they're super cool animals, but uh, yeah. I don't necessarily think they're good for the wildlife. But um, I do think that they're cool animals and I'd love to hunt hunt mm-hmm. some um, and help take out some of the population if I could. But yeah, I definitely think that it's a it's definitely interrupted a lot of things in Colorado and I think it's probably not gonna be for the best here in a few years, but right. You know, I guess it is what it is. We can't control it, but it's unfortunate for the elk herd and the ranchers and all yeah. the people in the West. I mean, I've been I have gone elk hunting every year for the last how many years and wolves can really really change an area you know like mm-hmm. nothing and if there's wolves in a spot see into the elk or they're not making a noise like so i can't imagine that that's going to help anything moving sure. forward but you know it's one of them deals yeah. it's gonna have to happen and we're gonna have to do what we have to do and move around it and adapt and improve and improve and it is what it is right absolutely um yeah, you know, I, I was looking at a thing. I think Paul Lanier posted it the other day. Um, but he was talking about how they, up north, especially in the big woods, like the the northern Wisconsin, the classic, you know, the quintessential deer camp. Um, I mean, it's it's dwindling. And part of it's, you know, yep. redu- a reduction in hunter numbers and all that. But then also, you know, you got these wolves running around now. And, you know, that combined with CWD, um, 
I mean, dude, the, the deer herd is hurting up north. Like Yes, it it is, is. it's, it's not what it used to be up there. So yeah, No. that's, that's really interesting. I, and I've heard, cause from what I understand the wolf season, there's like a quota in the state, right? Yep, there was. There was Okay. for one year. Oh, so there's no Yep, quota and anymore. they and no, they they put them back on the endangered species list in Wisconsin. Oh, So the gotcha. as of right now, there's no season foreseen, at least to my knowledge. Huh. Dang, I thought we still had like a standing sort of thing. No, So I was looking. it was for one year, and they killed the quota in like one day, or That's they put what them over I. the quota by a hundred in one day, or something, and then. <laughs> It went back on the endangered species list, I believe, in Wisconsin. So, yeah, it's really? shut down. I got the refund of my wolf point from this Okay, past year and sure. everything. So, So is it a draw yeah. now? Like you have Well, it's to draw, still, it or wasn't there it's just just a closed. draw anyways. Okay. It's a draw anyways. Yeah, it's just closed, period, Dang. until indefinitely, and I guess until somebody thinks the population's high enough again. Sure. But... Interesting. Yeah, we might have to get one of the DNR biologists on here to, to talk about that a little bit more. That'd Yeah, yeah. Have you talked to any any biologists or biologist or anyone like that who's be interesting. Not to, not about wolves. No, it's Okay, just gotcha. a hot topic, and it seems like it's everyone's uh, it's out of everyone's hands from what I hear of it. But Right. Yeah, it's. We'll see what happens there. I don't know what the. <laughs> I I don't really know which direction we're we're headed. It's tough to say. You know, with Colorado doing that, and then, you know, Yeah, the Colorado thing. Definitely uh, not a good thing, I don't think, but ruffled some feathers. That's for sure. <laughs> I just, I just don't understand what, what's going to come of it, but, you know, I guess it is what it is. Yeah. So regarding predator hunting as a whole, kind of on that note, what do you think we're getting right? And I guess, what would you like to see more of? Um, I would say uh, the 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 part that we're getting right, I think, the tools and things to do it are, are much more affordable and high quality. Um, there's so many resources out there to, you know, to learn how to do it. You know, I, I mean, you could realistically spend a few hours on YouTube, listen to maybe a couple of podcasts and you could probably go out there and kill a coyote in one, you know, in your first set. Um, you know, I think that's probably the big thing we're getting right. Uh, you know, what I'd like to see change. I wish, I wish that it wasn't viewed as a night sport. I wish that people didn't think, you know, coyote hunting, oh, that means they're going at night. You know, I wish more people would, would hunt them in the daylight or at least learn how to hunt them in the daylight before they start hunting at night. Because I think you learn so much more about their behavior and how they move and travel and come to the call when you can see them in the daylight. and see what they'll do in the daylight. Um, I would say that's probably the only thing, you know. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think I think people think if you don't kill 100 coyotes a year, you're not good at it. And I think I think that it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if you kill one in a year. It doesn't matter if you kill, you know, 300. But, you know, if you're if you can be just – good at it, what you do and the times you go out, you can put yourself in a position for success. You know, I think that you're doing absolutely no harm and you know, only helping everybody and yourself. And 
I just think that if you can go out there and be somewhat educated in what you're doing and know a little bit about what's going on, you won't educate them as much. You'll have more success. It makes them easier to call in for everybody because there's less educated ones. Sure. Um, but yeah, I would say those are the, probably the main things, you know, I don't think, you know, contest hunting's dying. You know, I don't, I just don't think, I don't, I don't know that that's ever going to come back. Mm-hmm. So which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's, right. it's exciting and part of it. But yeah, those are, those are probably the main things. Got it. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, there's a couple of things there. I mean, I think, I think just what you said, I mean, obviously hunter numbers are declining as a whole, but then we talked with a, a former, um, deputy of fisheries biology, uh, Robert Rosenberger a couple of weeks ago, or I guess a couple months ago now, it feels like a couple of weeks, geez. Um, but he mentioned there was a study out of, uh, I think it was Michigan. And basically they said that like small game hunters are like pretty much right on the fast track to becoming non-existent these days with the lack of kids getting out yep. there to squirrel hunt and rabbit hunt and all that stuff. Yep. And it seems like predator hunting might not be terribly far behind. Is that kind of what you're seeing there in terms of, cause like I grew up with, um, I got a bunch of extended family down in Iowa and they were, they were big yep. into the coon hunting tournaments and that whole scene. Yep. And I mean, they, they, you know, have said similar things. And I think running dogs is a little bit different where you know they can still, I don't know. It seems like there's still enough of a following like that. And I know there is with predator hunting yep. as well, but have you, what do you like, do you think that's a fair assessment of kind of where predator hunting's at? I would say. I think it's on a rise at the moment. Okay. But I do think Good. that it's going to go. I think it's going to come and go because yeah. I think that you're going to have this rise of people that see, okay, thermal's more affordable. It's easy. Everybody can do it. And then right. people are going to go out and not, they're not going to know necessarily what they're doing or take the time to learn the sport, mm-hmm. the aspect of calling. They're going to, you know, maybe call a few in, but they're probably going to get their, their, teeth kicked in sure. and they're probably going to say screw it this is too hard i'm going to sell my stuff you know and i'm not going to do it anymore right i would say i would say there's going to be a fair amount of that in the next two two years i would say because mm-hmm. i think thermal's getting so popular right now um you're going to have a lot of new people that are going to start doing it and then you're going to have people that are going to stop doing it because it's hard and right. i think that I, I think that's probably the only thing. I think it'll stay probably pretty level at where it's at right now, just because I think there's enough of a following. And I hope that I hope that we can keep kids and people involved into it um, to some extent or, or keep getting people into it. At least from what I'm seeing, a lot of the people that are doing it are younger, um, sure. like, you know, like 20s, 30s. Uh, so I think that I think that for the time being, it'll stay and at least maintain, but I do think there'll be a turnover here in the next couple of years of people that are going to sell, sell out of their, their night hunting stuff just because it's hard and it's getting harder. And I right. can, you know, I can tell you from doing it for many years, that it's, it's harder now than it's ever been. And I think that's only going to deter people from doing it. Cause you know, people don't want, especially coyote hunting, like it's in the winter, people just think, Oh, I want to go relax, call some coyotes, shoot at them, right. you know, whatever. And I just think that people not having success is going to, is going to definitely turn a few people away here in the, in the future. 
Yeah, definitely. Did, was there a pretty big um, sort of boom, I guess, or increase in predator hunters like around like the whole COVID lockdown thing? Like was that I'm assuming the predator industry caught that wave as well. Yeah, I would say it probably had to be about that time, but because I mean, people were, everyone was home. People didn't have anything to do. People Right. were laid off work or offices were closed, whatever it was. People just found stuff to do. Um, and ev like everything outdoors, you know, pretty much everything outdoors boomed at that time. Right. And yeah, I would say, I mean, it can't be an accident that we're two years later and we're in a boom, you know, Mm that hmm people are, there's more hunters than ever. Uh, Right. I would say, yeah, probably. That probably is what happened. Um, yeah, I would say it just, I don't know if it was because thermal got more affordable or if it's just that, Right. you know, it's COVID, but maybe it was a combination of both. Right, right, definitely. I like what you said there uh, a couple minutes ago about how there's there's so much information out there right now. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. There's a lot of information out there, but there's not necessarily as many people, or I guess as many mentors out there who might be able to take people hunting and help them work their way through that learning curve um, and coach them up and stuff like that. Are there any like, predator hunting groups or organizations that, uh, you know, you know of that do some sort of mentoring or. Not, I mean, not really, I guess, you know, there's groups on Facebook, you know, Okay. like Sure. coyote hunting, Wisconsin or Wisconsin coyote hunting, or, Gotcha. you know, those are, I mean, they can get, you know, you have your, your people that are better than the rest. And Mm -hmm. Sure. if you ask a question, that's not up to their standard. It's a dumb question. Right. So yeah, I would say, unfortunately, no, but I mean, the podcasts and the YouTube stuff that's out there anymore. Like I, I, I encourage people to message me all the time. Like I have people message me about setups and calls and Mm -hmm. thermals and all kinds of different stuff. And like, I, I take a few people out, like people will be like, Hey, can I come with you and just learn? Like, yeah, Sure. let's do it. Like I would always encourage people to message me. Like if there's anybody on here that wants to message me on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, Like I'll talk to anybody and try to help anybody try to improve what they're doing or, you know, maybe they don't know and they have questions, whatever it may be, but like, I'm happy to answer questions and help people to, to the best of my abilities. Awesome, man. Well, that that lines up just about perfect. I just looked at the clock and we're creeping up on an hour 20 here. So I want to be respectful of your time. But um, man, thank you so much for coming on for all this info. And for folks who do want to reach out to you, who do want to, uh, you know, listen to your podcast. Um, I've listened to an episode, uh, I think it was one you did last week or two weeks ago. Um, and that was you know, phenomenal. So folks, definitely reach out to you. Um, where can they go to find your content or get in touch with you? Uh, probably the best spot. I post most of, most of my stuff on Instagram. My handle is predator podcast underscore drew. Um, yeah. Message me on there. If I guess my Facebook name is just drew Schlem. You can message me on there too. Uh, but yeah, predator podcast, find it on any, any platform that you listen to podcasts. Uh, I have a bunch of good episodes out right now and I got some really good ones in the hopper. So Yeah, but like I said, if people have questions, want to know, you know, gear questions, call questions, technical questions, doesn't matter. Like, I'm happy to answer them. I talk to people all the time about all kinds of different things, and I'm happy to help. Awesome, man. Well, I might have to uh, take you up on that offer next time I'm 
I've got a I've got a free evening if the weather's looking good and all that and see if we can't put one down. But well man, you thank go. you so much for uh for coming on. I, I think I learned a ton here. This is I told you before we started, this was a half selfish episode of uh my own wanting to to learn more about this. So I learned a ton. I'm hoping a lot of other folks did as well. Um man, thank you so much for joining and uh we'll we'll talk to you soon.